Sports are such a big part of all of our lives. From the big plays to the unforgettable games, they continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors, and heroes of our time when the game is finally over and the sport they love and work their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Life Beyond the Game. Really stoked about my conversation today with Victor Hobson. He uh, actually connected with him through a forum of entrepreneurs, um, and he played seven years in the NFL, uh, had a quite the journey um, post-athletics, and we share a very similar journey of coming towards the end of our career and uh, making the decision to walk away and the loss of identity that that comes with and the challenges that that comes with. And Victor shares his story, uh, the lessons that he learned through his football career and the unique challenges that come with walking away from the game that he spent his entire life playing. Um, He's a really successful in the finance world right now, making big moves globally, making impact in a big way. And I'm really stoked for you guys to listen in on our conversation. I uh, really hope you guys enjoy. Without further ado, actually, I'm going to further ado. I'm going to plug myself. Uh, one of the most uh, unique challenges that any former professional athlete faces is the loss of identity, purpose, and community. We go our entire careers uh, in a locker room surrounded by a brotherhood, camaraderie, um, focused on working towards achieving a common goal. And when the game is over, uh, for me, that was one of the biggest things I was missing. And so, over the last couple of years, I've been working towards this vision of creating community for former male professional athletes. And that led me to create the Heart Collective, an exclusive community that's built just for us, just for men who know what it's like to transition out of sports and who are focused on making the world a better place, who want to put their energy of a warrior, the heart of a warrior, all of the lessons and growth they've developed through their career, their playing career, and channel that into themselves and into uh, projects to help make the world a better place. Uh, really excited about um, growing this community. And if it's something that interests you, go to theheartcollective.com. That's the heart, H A R T, collective.com to learn more. And if you're a former athlete, I uh, would love to hear from you. Reach out to me directly or apply on the website. Enjoy this week's episode. All right, Victor, what's up, brother? How are you? I'm good, man. I appreciate you coming on the show and taking some time to share your story um, through sports and through the transition and into your journey of life now, um, trying to normalize the experience for former athletes and really anybody going through a, tra- a big transition in life because we all go through big transitional moments um, throughout our life. And a lot of times we have to rediscover who we are. And I think playing at the professional level uh, for a long time. Um, you know, it's a very unique challenge and it's a very unique situation and excited to hear a little bit about your journey. So 
why don't you share with the listeners a little bit about um, yourself and your athletic journey? I know you played in the NFL for a year, few years. Talk a little bit about that, and then we'll dive into um, how you handled the transition out of sports. No, for sure, for sure. I appreciate you having me on too, Joe. So, uh, it, it, uh, it my journey started obviously from uh, a little town in South Jersey uh, called Mount Laurel. Um, from, from there, I went to a private high school, St. Joe's Prep, um, played sports. I was playing sports all my life. Um, from high school, uh, I was actually a Fab Five fan uh, and a basketball fan. So I, I thought I was going to be a basketball superstar, but I was getting bigger instead of taller. Um, and, uh, you know, oh, that's when reality, man. yeah, yeah. So reality set in <laughs> kind of like, look, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, the next Jalen Rose or Juwan Howard or, you know, Chris Weber. So, uh, let's, let's focus on this, uh, this other field that, that seems to be, uh, more fitting to my size. Um, how tall are you? And, and I'm, I'm six one. You never had that growth spurt you're waiting for, huh? No, no, no. It it was crazy. I was always the the big guy in school, but, you know, not the tall one necessarily. I I was tall. I mean, I guess until we got up to to high school and everybody was catching up. Um, I was still the big guy on campus, but, you know, not not necessarily the the, the tall one. So from there, uh, I I focused on football, uh, played football through high school, uh, I was playing tight end and linebacker. Um, I always loved defense cause I always loved to tackle people. Um, and I, I always preferred to do the hitting instead of get hit. Um, even though I feel like at some point in my career that, that kind of changed when I was running up against big guys like you, it, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how much of the hitting I was doing. Um, but you know, from there I was fortunate. I got a scholarship to university of Michigan. Um, in Michigan, uh, you know, I played with some some great talents. Uh, you know, I was fortunate to play with guys like Tom Brady and and, and guys like that. Um, you know, good leaders that that actually instilled a lot of different things uh, in in the way I prepared and was able to play. I was fortunate to have a good head coach and and Coach Lloyd Carr, who uh, who was more focused on developing us as men as opposed to. Uh, us just being great football talent. So I, I would say the the atmosphere that the University of Michigan brought uh, and, and kind of enlightened me to um, helped a lot. Um, and it helped, uh, you know, in terms of just my growth from me coming and thinking I was a man uh, to, to actually, you know, becoming somewhat of an adult uh, through college. Um, from there, uh, do you have any uh, specific stories that <laughs> during your college days that, you know, really impacted you and some lessons that you learned that you might want to share that kind of helped you grow into a man? You know what, you know what the, uh, the, my first day on campus, um, our strength coach, Mike Gittleson, he was a, a military veteran, volunteered to go back to Vietnam twice. Um, just yeah. to give you a little background of his mentality. <laughs> um, you know, when he asked me, because I, I actually came to camp, I was with my father, and he was like, are you in shape? I was like, yeah, of course, I'm in, I'm in shape. I can, you know, he's like, all right, let's go through a lift. Let's, let's go work out. And I was like, fine. You know, I'm thinking, I've always been strong. I'll just breeze through this. 
we got about halfway through, not even, we got about through three exercises and I was so lightheaded and he was looking like he had a smile, like he did, he does this, like, this is his thing, right? Like he breaks you down and I'm looking like, I'm like, I can't like throw, I feel like I'm going to pass out. Like I'm literally. And so he was like, are you all right? And I was like, hey, and then he, he kept looking and it got to the point, he's like, why don't you just go sit in the training room? And and my dad is still there. Like, and we had gone, got a big breakfast before. And uh, so I walk in the training room. I, I couldn't have been in the training room for more than two seconds. And I, I think I probably filled up the biggest garbage can in there, <laughs> which throw up and everything. And it led to him, you know, him laughing. You know, the older guys were in there, you know, they were a couple of giggles here and there. And I was like, what is it? Like, this is a whole different world. Like I'm working out is supposed to be the easiest thing in the world. But what it led me to understand is like, look, this isn't, you know, football is great. You're physical. You, you, everybody's strong, right? This isn't going to be a physical game that you just dominate physically. Unless you're able to develop the mental toughness to get through everything, and and know where to you know step on the gas, step on the brakes, and 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 kind of incorporate the different things that you've learned from a mental standpoint. You're not going to make it anywhere. And uh, that was my first introduction to okay, wow, this is more going to be college is going to be more of a mental development for me than a physical because I was already strong. I could already so I had to learn from then on. You know, of course, he would drag me and make sure that I was working out with him each and every day, uh, which was never fun. But it was his it was almost like he took to me to make sure, like, look, I'm going to develop you into the person we know you can be that we recruited as opposed to the person and player that you think you are. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, different things like that from just as simple as the weight room to on the field, you know, with, with coach Carr would, would, would tell us, he, he would tell us all the time, no matter what, he was like, look, the expectations are for the position. Uh, it doesn't matter who steps into it. We set the expectation for the position. So you could be a superstar and get hurt. Whoever steps up that, that position has the expectation, not the person, the mm. position. So it, it, you know, just little lessons along the way that led to, you know, my senior year, I was, I was a captain and so forth that kind of developed me into being a leader. Um, even though I didn't want to, I think that was a side of me that I, I've always preferred to kind of sit in the background, even to this day. Uh, and, you know, I, it, it's something that was developed in me. And it's, it's funny because it was like a fight. Like it was developed in me. People always followed what I was doing because I was doing the right things. But I myself was like, no, I don't really want to be in the forefront. I would prefer to be in the background. So, yeah, I have a very um, similar story with my leadership. It's like I was <laughs> led by example. I didn't want to ever be the rah rah in front of the guys. And I would right. when they called for it, like on the field. But I just, I had so much resistance to being the guy that like stepped up. And I don't know what that is. I like, I've worked through that since then of like wanting to be seen. And I've had this different idea of leadership of like somebody telling somebody what to do. And I've learned since then that real leadership, especially getting in the business world is about having the vision of where everybody wants to get to and reminding everybody 
of what that vision is. So it's not telling people that, hey, you need to step up here. Or you're doing this wrong. Or it's like, hey, where are we trying to get to? Is that the thing that's going to help us get there? And I think learning right. about that leadership, I really wish I would have known more when I was younger. But so were you more of a, of a, like a vocal leader or just lead by example and people just respected you so much because of your play on the field? Yeah, I was, a, I was always a lead by example guy. Um, never, I, I'm similar to you. I never wanted to be the rah-rah, you know, hey, do this, do that. I wanted to be the guy who was working hard, doing or making the right choices, you know, not taking plays or, or, or time off. Um, and just setting the example that way to kind of create the mentality for the team to follow as opposed to just saying, you know, do this, do that, do this and do that. I was never, I was never the rah-rah guy. Yeah. Never. So how did that experience in college prepare you for the NFL and talk a little bit about the, the, the draft process where you went in the draft and then a little bit about your journey through the pros. So it, it, it after college, I was drafted in the second round. I got drafted by the New York jets in what was it, 2003. Um, it, it, you know, it's interesting because um, even though I was prepared for it, you know, everybody says football is not for long and this and that, you know, you hear all the stories. Um, I don't know if I was really ready for it um, until I really experienced it day to day. And I, I say that to say, you know, I, I was prepared for, you know, what to expect on the field. I didn't expect it to feel it was, I realized that I was around grown men, like real adults, you know, and I realized that this was now not just the game that I loved. It was still something that everybody loved to do, but this was a job, right? And and this was how people provided for families. So I had to take a different approach. Like, it's great to have fun and, you know, you love to do this and, and do that, but what what I would do if I'm making bad choices and, and doing the wrong things, I'm affecting the way people feed their families. Mm. And so that, that kind of, that, that's something that always kind of stuck with me um, in terms of my decisions and, and what I was doing on and off the field, really. Um, it, because I, I realized that, you know, this is, this is, there's a lot more responsibility than just being able to, you know, make a few tackles and then say, uh, you know, great. I, I felt great to the media and, you know, this and that. Um, this is this is how people made a living. Um, yeah. It's so highly competitive too, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I remember coming in as a young guy, I, I dealt with that too. I mean, I, I went into an offensive line room with the guys that had been together for three or four years, like the starting five, and they were all in their 30s. And it's like, well, these are grown men yeah. with families. And in the hyper competitive environment of there's only a limited number of spots and everybody like every, every year during training camp, they like another 30 or 40 guys come in, the roster expands to 90 guys and everybody's competing for just a few spots and, you know, potentially millions of dollars and a livelihood, but also yeah. you have to create a locker room, locker room of like brothers who are doing <laughs> the thing together. But then there's like this interwoven like competition. How did right. you navigate that? No, it was, it was interesting, but for me, I, I was fortunate. Like I also came into a locker, uh, not only a locker room, but a, a position, um, with the linebacker room of guys that were, that had been there and done it. Like, so Marvin Jones, who had went to Florida, Florida state, uh, had been playing 10 and 11 years at the time I came in and Mo Lewis had been playing 
this it was his 13th year wow. um so these are guys that you know have been there done it had played in the lawrence taylor era right and and were solidified and had had, had you know gone through different coaches and, and different coaching staffs and and um but even in that they they took to me in terms of okay wow we see a young guy who's capable uh they liked my mentality and they kind of guided me through the process so if, if even though it was it was always competitive um that never changed but like so Mo Lewis, uh, who we played the same position, he kind of understood, like, look, he would tell me, he he knew, like, they brought me in to replace him. But at the same time, he was like, look, I'm not going to give you the job, but I'm going to help you and prepare you for when I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So, and he would tell me, like, look, when it was getting cold outside and, and, and uh, you know, in, in, in the winters and stuff like that, like, look, Look, young buck, you got to get out there and play. My, my body isn't prepared for this anymore. And I, yeah, I, don't, I can't, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm, a, I'm an old engine. It takes a while to warm up. I'm not, I don't, not today. So, yeah, but that. so how did that affect you later on in your career? Because how long did you play? Seven years. Seven years. So, yeah. I know for me, I, I had, you know, a guy that played 13 years before me and I was drafted a very similar situation to take his job. Um, and he, you know, I learned a lot from him by paying it forward and helping me out and sharing his experience, yeah. but he never like gave me the job as well. And I learned a lot later yeah. in my career, I was paying that forward. And I know there's, you know, a couple different types of guys, some guys, you know, will not help the young bucks at all. They're so kind of yeah. you know, focused on themselves and, it, and it's, it's understandable when there's millions of dollars on the, on the line but I really learned to pay it forward as well. So you're coming towards the end of your career. How did that evolve and what led you to finally walk away from the game? I think after, after I, because my last two years were in Arizona um, and what people, people didn't understand, like with me, I had like a couple really good years with New York with the Jets, but I had a, out of the five years I was with, um, out of the five years I was in New York, I had one, two, three, four different coaching, uh, defensive coordinators and linebacker coaches, I would say between the two. So I was learning a new language each year because each one had a different philosophy to the, you know, we had Herm Edwards as a head coach, uh, had a, I had a, a different defensive coordinator when I came into the next year, uh, once I got comfortable in that defense, we got a new head coach. The head coach got fired. He brought in a different defensive coordinator, different mentality, a 3-4 defense, which, look, I'm a middle linebacker in a 3-4, not an outside linebacker, but I was playing outside and learning that defense at the same time. Um, so it, it was, for me, it was a constant transit. I was always transitioning. But fortunately for me, I was never... Like I was never, I'm never, I'm not the type of person that gets uncomfortable in transition. Now I may not like it, but I'm not the type of person to complain about it, this and that. So when I got to Arizona, um, I think I, I, I pretty much knew like, look, the way things were going, um, you know, the, 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 the way I actually ended up out there. Um, I knew I was closer to the end than the beginning. Um, because I think once you, like, even though I, I felt like I could still play, 
um, once the the business of the game, quote unquote, kind of takes over uh, and, and is in the lead of what you're doing or where you're going or, or how you're positioned on a, on a, on a roster, you know, you, you have to make business decisions uh, ahead of, you know, do I just want to keep doing this just because, because now it got to the point where this really is a job and I'm doing this for a job. And you have to question like, am I just doing this just to get a check? Or am I doing this because I still love the game and it's creating a check for me? And I think it got to the point where I was like, this is, you know, this is now really, it's a job for me for real. Um, and I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to be one of those guys that I was forced into that situation because that, that wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't comfortable. That's not why I started playing. Yeah. Interesting. So you ended up walking away and made that decision for yourself before I mean, you could have ended up keep playing. I mean, I, I had a very similar journey myself where I had that that wake-up call. It's like, do I keep doing this because the money's good or I, I've already made a good amount of money to be secure? And it's like, do I want to put my body on the line? Do I want to be able to walk when I'm you know, later in life? And all these things start confronting you pretty rapidly. Um, you know, for me, when I first, you know, I, I spent my whole last year knowing it was my last year, my eighth year in the league. And when I walked away, it was still a huge shock because even my entire career, I know they always tell us and try and prepare us for, you know, like you talked about earlier, not for long, have a backup plan. What are you going to do when you're done? And I was always very aware of, you know, football is something I did. It was never who I was and I never wanted to wrap my identity in it, but it was, I got hit like a ton of bricks when I was finally done. And I don't think I gave myself enough credit to realize like, Whoa, football was a huge part of my identity and I still had to figure out who I was without it. And that's what led me down this path of really trying to find myself did you deal with that at all? And how was that kind of transition uh, after the game was over? No, it's it's funny how you just put that because that's exactly, you know, that's exactly how it is. <clears throat> you know, you always have in your mind, like, uh, I didn't, I, transition will be easy when I'm done playing. Like, this isn't who I am. This isn't, this doesn't define me. But you don't realize that it's almost like you're saying that to yourself to subconsciously convince yourself that, that's not true when it really is. Right. So when that time does come um, and it comes for everybody and it came when it came, I was, I I was lost. Uh, You know, I I, lost is probably an understatement because it's like, what else can I pour my heart and soul into, you know, besides my family? Um, And what else can I allow myself to trust now that something that I do love like that was taken away from me before I feel like, you know, it was time that I allow myself to grow and evolve into it and give myself self time to develop into a pro at something else, to being a pro at something else. So it's, you know, it's a long, it's a journey and it's, it, it comes with a lot of self-evaluation and having to kind of, you know, understand and really be truthful with yourself. Because I think the biggest thing was, you know, aside from us running and beating ourselves up for a living and loving to do it uh, somehow, um, you don't realize how much you you don't realize that 
how much you've allowed that to define you. Um, and so when I was done with it, I, I was, you know, I, I was doing things. I was, you know, trying to do this, trying to do that, but there was no real focus there because it wasn't, it, it wasn't who I was allowing myself to be. And it, it wasn't, I wasn't in a space where it was what I would allow myself to become. So it wasn't until I kind of cleared myself of, of being a football player that I couldn't move to my next stage of life. And that, that took, it was, you know, it took, it took a few years. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's like, you have to go through this process of letting that part of you go properly. And I think a lot of guys struggle with fully letting it go and they, they hang on to it and that's where they, they numb out and they don't allow themselves to move on. And, you know, I was talking to a few other athletes, you know, as I've been doing this podcast and I think, um, I forget who it was. I think it was Eric Wood was talking about, cause he, he, his career ended because of a neck injury and it kind of was abrupt and he never really had like a retirement party. And I think a lot of athletes don't ever have that like moment to like really honor and celebrate. And I think there's very few guys that even the media or like the team will throw a retirement party for them, throw a press conference and make it this big deal. It's like, okay, we're finally walking away. You know, I'm sure like Tom Brady will have like some big extravagant, like finally he's done. But for 99% of the players, it's like, it's kind of like anticlimactic. It's over. And then it's like, well, now what? And I think there's really yeah. important piece to have some kind of ritual or practice or celebration of who you were, what you've accomplished in order to create like a solid, okay, now I'm moving on, but it is this journey. And it takes yeah. a couple of years. Like for me, I ended up giving away all my stuff to charity and I bought a van and yeah. I traveled the country to go find myself. And I'm still realizing now, even a piece of that was me running away from it. And yep. coming full circle, it's like, it's something you have to integrate and you have to really look at it and look at, you know, who, what made you a good football player, the intangibles, the lessons, the growth, and how can I apply that into a vision of who I want to become? Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, I think a big part of it is subconsciously, while we're telling ourselves that this isn't who I am, you, you don't realize, like, you assume that the game loves you back hmm. right and so you're approaching every day as that and, and and when it's taken from you and you see you know not within an hour <laughs> there's somebody who's filled your locker somebody who's filled your space and somebody's wearing your number right you can't even get in the facility you're like, hold on, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. It, 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 at least give me like a, a week or something, yeah. you know, a month. <laughs> Show me. And, and you realize that it's, it's a machine. Like the game is the game. You know, you, you're attached. The game is, and it always brings me back to what Coach Carr was teaching us. And I didn't realize it then. The expectation is for the position. Look, it's the position. It's the game the game is going to keep that cycle is going to keep going. Not the people mm. you're, 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 you're never bigger than your Jersey. I don't care who you are. So continues on. yeah, the game continues on. And, and until you come to reality with that, the sooner you're able to come to reality with that, the sooner you're able to move on with, with, with the rest of your life. Yeah. What is some, uh, some things that helped you work through that initial couple years? Um, I know, 
you know, identity is a big piece and trying to find purpose outside of sports. Like where do we put all of this warrior energy and, and all this yeah. mindset and toughness and grit that we've learned to channel into this really physically demanding sport that really demanded a lot of us. And we had a lot to give it and all of a sudden right. it's like, where do we put that energy? What is, what was your journey like that first couple of years and what, where did you decide to kind of put that energy? You know what? I mean, the, the first year, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't know. Like it was almost like a waste because I didn't know. Um, and you don't, you don't realize along with that, that how much you've taken your body through along the way as well. And, and not so much, you know, physically as emotionally and mentally too, because you, you put a lot into it. Um, and it kind of, as you're walking away from it, it, it all kind of, it's, it's all there at one time. Like you don't have anything to run to. Uh, so I think that all kind of hit me at one time. And I was the, the first year, maybe, maybe two, to be honest with you, I was just like, what do I do? You know, fortunately I had my family, my wife, my, my kids at that time, I think what I have two kids at, at that time. Um, did you I ever knew I had to, or you're like, really like, was it affecting your family where you're like emotions oh, and for, a little bit off? For sure. For sure. I mean, and, and it's because we're warriors, right? So there's no such thing as I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent. Right. It's, it's, Oh, I'm fine. But you're, you're trying to figure it out. So you're saying you're fine, but I'm still trying to figure it out at the same time. So you're not realizing as you're figuring it out, what effect you're having as the quote unquote hero of the family, like what effect are you really having on your family as well? So it, it, I, at the same time that, that, I think that's, that's kind of what forced, forced me to wake up too, um, is because the same, it was almost like, a you know, thinking back to when I first walked in the locker room and realizing, wow, I'm affecting families because these people, this is how they're feeding their families. The next phase of my life, it, it kind of came back full circle. Like, wow, how are you going to continue to provide and take care of your family? Because you're the cornerstone, right? So you, you can't do that being lost. If you're lost, everybody else is lost. Mm. So I had to, you know, yeah. So I had to come back with the same fight that I've had all my life with being a leader and not wanting to lead and say, okay, you have to, you have to have your steps in order to lead. Even if you don't want to be the local one, you have to do it by example because running around chasing your own tail isn't going to get it done. And that's going to make everybody confused. Was that I like a was, moment was, that came where you like woke up and like, I need to get my shit together. I need to focus on what I want to do next, who I want to become, or was it a gradual process of like trying to try new things or what was it that? Was like? a, it was a, it was a gradual process. So a, a lot of reading. Um, I'm a big reader. So I, I read a lot of Napoleon Hill. Um, oh. Yeah. Like, like some self-development, right? Like yeah, a lot of self-development, like, mm. uh, you know, mental dynamite is one of his books, outwitting the devil. Uh, great books. Um, another book was like, as a man thinketh, like books like that. I was read like 
the books that like one of my mentors always says it's the secret to the secret, right? So what the secret is based off. So I was, I was doing a lot of that stuff. It's full circle back to what you were talking about in that first lesson in college. It's like, how do I train my mind to create the vision of the future of who I want to become? But it starts up here, right? Yeah. How do I, yeah. And it, and it became, it was full circle. Like how do I unlock the person that I know I am that has been stuck in being a football player, even though football is done. Right. So how do I get around that? How do I get through that to unlock really the true purpose of who I am? And that's, that's, that's what it became like the journey of, okay, look, there's a lot of me that has not been exposed to the world. I have to unlock that not only for myself and for my family, but for my true purpose of this journey in life. Mm, that's beautiful. And when you started putting the energy towards yourself, working on self-development, figuring out who you are and what do you want, what do you want to become? What started coming up for you? What was like the things that you wanted to create? What was the, the direction you wanted to go? Well, I noticed the, the, the first thing that I noticed was that I was no longer blaming everything or everybody else for things that were going wrong or things that happened. Right. I, what, what I realized is that instead of being quick to say, Oh, well, that's because this, or that coach didn't allow me to do this, or, you know, this situation, I wasn't here. It was okay. Because I wasn't in the right space or because I didn't perfect this in myself, that situation couldn't present itself or whatever the case may be. And, as I found, as I changed myself, everything around me was forced to change because the old things that weren't happening or, or, or weren't going well or, you know, were clinging on, they don't feel comfortable around that, you know, the true, the true you once you're unlocked, right? So once you're potentially, once, once you unlock the true, your true purpose and in, in, in the understanding of who you are, that old, you know, the, the, the old dead weight can't even hang on. It, it doesn't feel comfortable. Um, so, so there's nothing that you, you're left to blame except for yourself and changing yourself. Yeah. Taking that, that personal responsibility is like the first step in really anybody's life is to like, if you want to create a life, you got to stop, you know, being a victim of your circumstance and start creating the life from within. And it's all, I mean, we are the perceivers of our our reality and we always project what our internal world is like. And so if we're hurt, angry on the inside or lost, we're going to project that out. But if we can work on ourselves and turn that mirror inwards and focus on who we want to become, then our our external world starts shifting to meet that. It's really fascinating. One One of the deepest things I heard, you know, along that, while I was going through that is somebody told me, look, you can blame and complain and do all this, but one thing you're going to learn in this world is that you can only meet yourself. Mm. So no matter who you meet, all that negativity you're blaming or this and that and that, you have to ask, what is it in you that's even attracting that? Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's exactly right. We're all mirrors for each other, right? Yeah. So what was the, what was like, what was the journey like after that? You started diving into yourself. I know you you had this vision of um, getting into finance and helping athletes. Was it athletes playing still, former athletes with their finances? A lot of, I mean, both really. Uh, 
because I, I was thinking about, you know, at that time, all the stuff that I had been through, um, stuff I had seen people go through, you know, and, and, and so forth. And that's, you know, numerous things being in New York and the city, you can kind of, you kind of see it all. Um, so for me, it, it was okay. I got to a point where how can I help others out of situations that I was still at that time, really working, working myself out of, um, to make sure that they don't hit those same pitfalls. And it was only natural that I would focus on, you know, athletes and football players because it was such, such a common, common ground there. Um, and that's kind of how it, it led me to, you know, the, the, the financial realm and so forth, because for athletes, the common misconception is that, oh, they're, they're rich, they're done playing, they just ride off in the sunset with a silver spoon, they can do what they want to do. When, I mean, obviously, as a former athlete, you you understand as well, it's like, it's not that easy. Mm. Um, and a lot of you know, more people than they would even know uh, are living check to check as, as athletes as well. So there's a, there's a lot of different dynamics that led me into that. Um, but it also, what I found is, as I was evolving into who I'm supposed to be, I, I realized that my purpose wasn't even so much as athletes. I mean, the athletes was, you know, that, that was the platform that gave us a common ground, but it led me to, to realize how much I wanted to help people in general, humanity, um, and make sure that people as a whole didn't fall into those same pitfalls, uh, and, and circumstances. And I was able to utilize a lot of different connections and relationships that I had established, uh, to kind of navigate through that and, and, and get to where I am today. Mm. What's the biggest, like, I mean, if you had advice for, you know, athletes or anybody that, you know, cause this whole, this whole idea of money, I feel like it's really fascinating, even, you know, widening the lens of, you know, it's like financial literacy is not something they even teach in school. It's like, it's really hard. It's a taboo thing. People don't talk about money. They don't talk about how much they make. They don't talk about where they're spending it. It creates this like this shadow thing that nobody wants to talk about. And that creates a lot of issues and problems. Cause you know, when I first started making, it wasn't until my fifth year, I got my second contract. I started making real money. I was like, I, I should probably start learning for myself what yeah. my money's doing. I trusted my financial advisor and all that, but I was like, I, I, you know, these are big, big checks. Now I want to start learning for myself. I started educating myself and learning because it's such an overwhelming thing when you look at it from the outside, like the markets, the numbers, the, this, the, that, and it's, it's actually, you can kind of simplify it if you just learn for yourself. And then I realized that, you know, maybe my financial advisor really wasn't the best guy for me. I ended up, you know, moving on from him and hiring someone that I could actually communicate and have these conversations with. So what is something that people are missing when it comes to their finances and what kind of advice would you give them? That's a great question. Um, and, you know, even with myself, I, I had financial people that I trusted just from the standpoint of being lazy, to be honest with you, that that kind of uh, took from me, take, took advantage of me, uh, you know, and, and it was nobody's fault but my own. Um, but I, I would say, the biggest, right yeah, no, the, the, the biggest advice I would give all, all the um, athletes and, and young people that come into financial freedom uh, is basically take control 
and and take grasp of what you have. And and that doesn't mean you have to do every little thing, but understand what it is of where your money's going, how you're making it work for you, what it's doing in, in certain situations so that if something does come up and you have a question, you're asking the educated question. You're not, you're not just asking a question of why and somebody can tell you anything. Uh, and then five years later down the line, you realize, oh, wait, he lied to me. I, I didn't really have that. Um, so make sure that you understand that and that you're comfortable even discussing it because, you know, it's like people go to the doctor and tell somebody, oh, you know, tell the doctor, allow them to prescribe something to that could change their life or take their life. But if it comes to finances, it's like, oh, no, I'm not telling them that. He, I'm not going to tell him my business. Like, wait, but come on now, this, this could affect your life too. And, and, and a lot different way. Uh, so this could suck the life out of you by making the wrong decision in a way that you almost would rather <laughs> take those wrong pills from the doctor. Yeah, totally. Talk a little bit about your, uh, your, your evolution from get you know, having this, this, this desire to be of service, right? I think, you know, anybody out there who's looking for deeper meaning or deeper purpose in life, you know, for me, and I think a lot of people, you know, sitting, you know, and quieting yourself and asking yourself how you can be of service to the world in a bigger way is a great place to start. And so you felt this calling to help athletes with their finances and trusted yourself to kind of navigate and go down that path. And then talk about the evolution of where that's led you to this kind of bigger vision and bigger role in the world. No, it's so, you know, I've always been fortunate to that. I've met a lot of people. um, And, you know, even thinking back to when I was playing, uh, I, I was I was always fortunate. I was in situations where I was meeting great people, people that could be of great service. I just, you know, when thinking back on it, if I was in a different space mentally, to be able to to kind of understand like what my purpose would be today, back then, I would have known how to kind of utilize and maximize those relationships as opposed to just saying, oh, "I'm a football player. I don't need you," or whatever the case may be. But I think that through that and in kind of the relationships that I've been able to establish have allowed me to see a a broader view, um, the bigger picture from a world view, as opposed to just seeing, you know, in New York or, or, you know, or in one particular state uh, in ways that I, I was never even exposed to, um, you know, with, with, people from Africa and different parts of, of Europe and Asia and being exposed to that um, made me realize how much I wanted to kind of encompass and help everyone. Like there, there's no, you know, I don't look at one person. I don't have any favoritism towards one group or the other people are people, humanity is humanity. Everybody deserves that same type of, platform or uh education to kind of get to the next level you don't know where the next genius is going to come from all you can do is kind of help to unlock the genius in whoever you're able to get in front of Mm. so talk about your personal journey with with you know because what are you doing now you're working more on a global scale you you started a company you have the I mean, 
I, I don't know exactly the details. Talk a little bit about how you kind of got into what you're doing now, because it's obviously, I think, you know, looking back when you first transitioned out, you, I don't think you would say you'd be doing what yeah, you're no, doing now, right? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I don't know. Who knows what I thought I would be doing when, when I first <laughs> when I first got done. Um, the journey, right, is like, but, that's yeah, what I'm to share with people is like, how can you trust to just trust yourself where it's leading you go down this path because it's going to probably lead you to where you're supposed to be in a bigger way than you can even imagine for yourself. Yeah, no, it is. And that's, that's the biggest part of self-evaluation and identifying the true you is because then you'll understand that the journey you're on is going to lead you to the exposure of who you really are and, and what is really inside of you. Uh, and even things that were inside of you that you tried to hide are going to get exposed. Um, you know, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's a good thing. Like for you and for me, it was, it was always leadership, right? So it, it was, that stuff is going to get brought up, but in those relationships, I, I've been fortunate in the fact that, uh, from a financial standpoint, I mean, my, my, my partners, I got to give them credit more than anything because it's almost like, I can't even give you all the details. They, they, uh, you know, they, they, I look at them more like mentors, um, than partners. I, I, I have to call them partners, but when I'm talking to them, they're, they're my mentors. They're all older. They're all late fifties, sixties. Um, but they've taken to me and see something in me that, even at that point, I didn't see in myself um, and kind of gave me an education that, like you said, can't be taught in school, can't be taught, you know, anywhere except for, as we would say, on the field with, with real life experience. And uh, they continually to this day kind of, you know, kind of saturate me with knowledge of this and how to do this and how to get this done, how to make this work. And it's kind of, um, it's put me in a position to where I can actually fulfill what my goals are in terms of helping not only athletes, but helping young men and women throughout the world on a financial level, um, that can eventually change the world. Um, Yeah, I think and, it's such an important lesson to surround yeah. yourself with people who are smarter than you, right? And who know yeah. more, who have a lot of experience. Um, you know, I think, in, and as athletes, I think one of the big issues, especially during the transition process, is we, we're the best in the world at something. And it's really hard for us to kind of take a couple steps down, probably like 10 steps down to like really have right. to start over pretty much. And in order to really accelerate our growth, because we have you know, the gifts, the intangibles, the mental toughness, the resolve, the grit, we, and we know how to handle failure better than most. And so being able to seek out mentors and people with experience in areas that you want to learn, you can learn from their experiences in such a profound and accelerated way. That's going to get you to where you want to be. Yeah. And it, and it, like when you're playing football, you know, you know, your capability, like you, you have that mentality, like I'm the best, nobody can stop me, blah, blah, blah. When you walk into a new arena, it's like, I know, I know what I'm capable of. I know what's inside of me, but I don't know if how to really pull it out or to, you know, what aspect of it to use to bring forth that confidence. So the fact that I've had mentors around me that have been able to do that, it, it kind of gives me a new light because 
they kind of saw in me or see in me what thinking back, you know, almost 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, almost now, when I first came in NFL, what Mo Lewis and Marvin Jones saw in me as a rookie, because you know how it is when, when you first come into the NFL, you recognize talent, you recognize new talent coming in like, Oh, wow, he's going to be something. Mm -hmm. And you know where to focus your attention to kind of help. Like, look, I'm going to help you through this because I see that you're going to be a superstar. So the fact that I have people who are, you know, kind of Titans around me that see capabilities in me to be able to, to kind of, you know, get better and, and, and do different things and understand that I have a, have a global approach to kind of helping and improve the world makes me feel that much better. Mm, yeah. It's so important. So important to find, you know, that community and that tribe and those mentors to, to really learn from. Um, we're coming up on our hour, but I ask yeah. all my guests um, this question and I think it's, it's really quite amazing. I'm, I'm stoked to hear your perspective on it and it's, you know, what's your vision for the future for yourself personally? What would you like to create? And then what's your vision for the collective, for humanity? I know you are involved and um, in a big global scale. So I just like to hear your perspective on where you'd like the world to go, especially in these kind of crazy times. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, wow. Where would I like the world to go? Um <laughs> That's that's an interesting question. I, I, so let's, I'm, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to answer it from what I see me being able to do in terms of helping the world is not only from a, I say, I use the word financial standpoint, but I look at it as a empowerment standpoint. So I, I look at, you know, kids and young kids from, third world countries and underprivileged places, even underprivileged places here. Um, and I say, how am I able to elevate their thinking so that they can step into any arena as I did when I stepped on the football field? So I look at it like every individual has that in them, but how do you unlock that? within them. And it takes, you know, it takes a, a special type of communication and nurturing to be able to unlock that in individuals. And I, you know, I kind of look at how fortunate I've been throughout my life, not only through football, but even now, but sometimes all it takes is as with me in, in this new arena that I'm in people that understand it, that have been there and have done that to look and say, no, 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 you need to do this. You can do this. You, you should do this and do that and kind of shed light onto their blind spots because they've been, when you look at kids that come up in those areas, they've been so focused on surviving that they don't even understand what to do or what to focus on to thrive, mm. right? Their, their, their main, their main skill set is survival and how do I survive by any means necessary? And sometimes that turns to bad things, illegal things, because all they know is survival. So how do I transmutate that way of thinking from survival to no, 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 you, you can be, you can be a superstar. 
you don't have to just survive. Let's let's concentrate on how you can be a superstar in what it is that you want to be in life. Mm. And if I can have that approach on every person, every young person that I come in contact with, I don't know how many I can reach, but you know, I figure I have enough people behind me with that same mentality that we can reach quite a big number of people. Love it, man. And that's how you change the world, right? Yeah. But throw the throw the pebble in the pond and let it ripple out. The more right. pebbles we can throw, the more ripples we can send, the bigger impact we can have, and hopefully change and shift the perspective of the world. For sure. For sure. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, man, and and sharing your story and you know, sharing your heart as well and, and um your desire to be of service, you know, globally and um yeah, man, I just really appreciate you. Uh, where can people find you? Um, are you on social media, website, anything like that? So I'm, I'm not the biggest social media guy yet. So I, I, I know I probably get, you know, a lot of booze on that one, but <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. It's becoming just another, another narrative control. Yeah, it, anyway. it, it, it really is. I, I, you know, I do have a Twitter account, even though I hardly even use that. And it's, it's simple. It's, it's Victor underscore Hobson. Um, but other than that, look, I'm, I'm, I'm around. As much as I'm trying to be low key, trust me, there's people behind me, you know, with hands on my back, making sure. So if you ask me this in the next month, probably right after the new year, I'll probably have all the social media set up and everything else. So oh, man. it's coming. Posted. For sure. For sure. All right, brother. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. And we'll definitely do this again sometime soon. No, for sure, Joe. I appreciate you. All right. Huge thank you to Victor for coming on the show. Uh, it's unfortunate that he doesn't have anywhere to contact him. Uh, no socials. He's a little bit uh, of an old timer uh, when it comes to that. I think he his last year was in 2009. My first rookie year was in 2010. So we just missed each other. Uh, like my one of my old coaches used to say, two ships passing in the wind are passing in the night. I forget what it was. Whatever he said, it, it was wrong. Um, but yeah, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you liked it, please leave a review, rate the podcast. It goes a long way in helping it grow. And if you haven't checked out my other podcast, Quantum Coffee with Joe Hawley, please go check that out. That is where we discuss the unanswerable questions of the universe, spirituality, God, and you know anything else that comes to mind. Really fun conversations with a lot of really cool people. Uh, go check that out. And uh, yeah, until next time, you guys have a good one. Peace.